we have been celebrating what God has done through missions this past year and what we believe he wants to do in this coming year. And so I want to ask you again, how many of you feel like God has called you as a missionary? Oh, we're getting better. Because every hand in this place, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, your hand should be up. Because every single one of us is called as a missionary. I know that we have changed the name of that word to mean people who now go and live in a country overseas, but that's not the case. A missionary is just someone who takes the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone who does not know it. And uh, as I shared with you two weeks ago in a message entitled, Any Place, uh, John chapter four, where Jesus met with the woman at the well and I, I said that if we're going to do this, if we're going to take this message to everyone, we have to deliberately make a choice to accept this. We have to come to a place where we recognize, you know what, God has called me as a missionary. And if we don't ever make that deliberate choice, we're never going to share our faith with anyone. It has to be a decision that we come to. We have to make the deliberate choice to engage other peoples, unbelievers. Okay, we have to engage them in conversation. Jesus humbled himself before this Samaritan woman, and we need to do the same. We need to humble ourselves. We need to stop making our lives all about us and humble ourselves and make it about connecting with other people. Encounter God, connect with people, make a difference. Bringing people together with him, that's what it's all about. Not only that, but we have to make a deliberate choice to talk to them about spiritual things. As much as I'm a fan of this idea of friendship evangelism, you know, get to know someone and wait 30 or 40 years and then hope that somewhere in there they see something different in my life, um, you know, there's some truth in that, but we actually have to open our mouths and begin to tell people about the hope we have in Christ. The scriptures are littered with verses that say, be ready to give people the reason for the hope you have. Go and preach, go and teach, go and disciple, go and, and help people to understand and obey my teachings. That all requires us opening our mouths and talking. And it may not be sitting up here or standing somewhere and, uh, on a red box and declaring the word of God. It may just be in a conversation at a coffee shop or in a conversation at a supermarket. It may just be a one-word sentence that you give to someone that's just the, the hope of the gospel to them. I mean, if nothing else, it's a track that you carry in your pocket and you leave on a table with a large tip. Not with a tiny tip. Don't leave a small tip and a big track. But then we also need to make a deliberate choice to be continuously filled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit or with the, the, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The same way that Jesus used the, the power of the Holy Spirit to open the woman's heart at the well, that's what he wants for us. And if we're, if we're going to say, well, Jesus did it because he was God, then this entire book is a lie. Because Jesus said, the same works I've been doing, you will do also. Why? Because he came and he laid aside his rights and privileges as God. He was still fully God, but he laid aside the rights and privileges as God, meaning he didn't access it. He did it as a human being indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that he could be our example to follow. Too many of us as believers just are waiting for God to do something in our lives so that then we can go do something for him. He already did. And what it is that you are seeking isn't going to come until you start releasing what he's already given you. 
Give and it will be given to you. Is not just about money. Oh God, I want deep revelation of your word. Then how about giving somebody at least the small revelation that I've already entrusted to you? Does that make sense? And some of us can't find the victory in our daily lives because we're not helping anyone else find it. The healing that you seek may come as you help someone else get theirs. You're all looking at me like you believe me. Good. If you have your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because we talked about any place a few weeks ago. And today we're going to talk about any price. In your program today is some information about a faith promise. There's a little packet that looks like this. And there's a little card that looks like this. Except it doesn't have blue crayon on it. Um, I didn't have a pen, so I just used what I had. I want you to have those ready and accessible because we're going to come to them a little bit later in the service. But I want to take us through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 8, and chapter 9. Now look at your neighbor and say, oh my goodness. But have no fear. I still plan to get you out of here right at the noonish hour, and uh, we're going to see how we do. <laughs> did you like how I did that? I don't want you to make the faith promise all about giving. It's not just about money, okay? It's about every part of our lives. And I'm going to try to allude to it in that, but the problem is Paul makes it all about money in this passage. But I'm going to try to bring in some other scriptures to make it more than just about money because I believe it fits. But we need to see these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start right there. We're going to skip some of the verses. In chapter 5 especially, Paul is writing, you got to remember, Paul's writing a letter to a church. He is like a district superintendent over a group of churches. And he's writing these churches a letter to correct some things, some teach them some things, to train them in some things. And now there's a group of people who criticized the Apostle Paul. The man who wrote 13 New Testament books, 14 if you believe he wrote Hebrews, but at least 13, 13 out of 27 books written by this guy. And there are people in his day who criticize his teaching and who criticize his personality. The Apostle Paul, writer of 13 books, we're going to skip over some of those verses where he alludes to that, not because it's not applicable to our lives, because, wow, is that ever applicable to our lives? Because we live in a day where we criticize so many people. Let it be a warning to us that when we want to criticize another believer, we should tread on very, very thin ice. Because if they did it to Paul, maybe we're one of those just like those people back in that day. I mean, it could be that we're criticizing a valid thing, but it might just be we're blind. And so just be careful. But we're going to skip over those verses because they don't fit what we're talking about today and you want to go home at some point, and so I just have to. I had to pick and choose. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse number 1. We know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So he's not talking about the mansion on a hilltop, okay? He's talking about the new body we're gonna get. We grow weary in our present bodies. Anyone say amen. 
we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits just floating around without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh physically, emotionally, spiritually. We just, we're trapped in this body that's dying and decaying. We're trapped in this, uh, this fight, if you will. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit to teach us, to train us, to help us, to give us a little taste of what we're going to put on. If we don't understand what it is to, to learn to walk in the power and victory of the Holy Spirit now, we don't get a taste of what it is. Some of us just long for heaven because we have no idea what's coming. But we're supposed to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we, we get a taste of what's coming. And that creates in us a greater longing for that reality instead of the reality we're in. The reason some of us can't let go of the stuff of the world is because we don't develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit who gives us a greater desire for heavenly things than earthly things. All we do is eat of earthly things and we wonder why our desire for earthly things is so strong. That's why the Holy Spirit's been given to us. We cultivate that. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing, not by seeing or feeling or touching. We live by faith. Verse eight, we are fully confident we would rather be away from these bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Our goal is to please the Lord. Always. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Each will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Okay, he's not talking about whether Jesus is your savior and you get to go to heaven or hell. Because he's writing to believers. If he was talking to them about that, there would be no need to talk about this judgment. They're already in because their names are in the book of life. He's talking about a judgment of believers that Jesus alluded to when he talked about giving us talents, giving us minus. What did we do with it? The ones that did well with what they received, what did Jesus say? Well done. He was pleased with what they did with what he gave them. That's what Paul's alluding to. Our goal in this life is to please the Lord. And everything we receive, we, we want to be able to stand before him at this judgment seat and have him say, well done. Well done. <clears throat> I revealed myself to you. I gave you my Holy Spirit. I gave you the word. And look what you did with it. And the, the biggest question of what we did with it is persuading others. Persuading others. Persuading others. In other words, he's not going to be as concerned with how many days we didn't miss our Bible reading. 
He's not going to be as concerned with how many days we, you know, lost our temper. What he's concerned with is what we did to persuade others. Whether that's with our mouth, whether that's with our knees in prayer, whether that's with our giving or our serving or our teaching, that's what matters most. That should be motivation. He says this idea that um, we have this fearful responsibility, this fear of the Lord that should motivate us. That's not really a great motivator. I mean, it is for a little while, but it burns off. Fear, guilt, those are, those are tough things to motivate us. So look what he says in verse 14. Christ's love controls us. That's a great motivator. Since we believe Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Stop. If he says, since we believe this, we also believe this, that means you cannot say, I believe Christ died for all if you do not also believe that we have died to our old life. If you believe that, you've got to believe I no longer live for myself. Look what he goes on to say. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and given us this task of reconciling people to him. As we talked about last Sunday, that's just bringing God together with people. Reconciling, every time we see reconcile or reconciling, it means just to bring together. We were enemies of God. Through Christ, we've been brought back together. We've been reconciled. For God was in Christ, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. God made Christ who never sinned to be the sin, the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Chapter six, verse one, as God partners, we beg you, do not accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Now, in light of what we just read, what would that mean? That would mean that I've accepted God's gift of kindness, that he's reconciling the world to himself, but ignore the responsibility that I now have as a Christ ambassador, no longer to live for myself, but to plead with others to be reconciled to God. And that word plead doesn't just mean with my mouth. My mouth is a part of it, but my giving, my serving, my praying, my, my living, every part of my life should be a plead with people to be reconciled to God. If all I'm concerned about is getting up in the morning and going and doing my job and paying my bills and having a good marriage and having good kids that do good things and, and just living life the best I can live it here, we're missing out. And it's no wonder we have no idea what the, the life that Christ came to give us is all about. I want to skip over to chapter 8. See, that didn't take too long. We got through two chapters already. In chapter eight, Paul is still 
on this theme. And now he brings an example to us. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many trials and they are very poor. They are also filled with abundant joy. They are being tested by many trials. They are very poor. They are also filled with abundant joy. That seems like a theme for the day, which is overflowed in rich generosity. I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. When is the last time in an American church people begged for an offering? I've never seen it. Anyone ever seen it? I've seen it in other countries. They did more than we hoped for their first action, listen to this, was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So we've urged Titus, verse six, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, faith, gifted speakers, knowledge, enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you also to excel in this gracious act of giving. We have a tendency in American churches to highlight things that we think are important and de-emphasize other things. But Paul says they're all the same. Grow in all of them. Grow in grace, grow in knowledge, grow in gifted speaking, grow in faith, grow in enthusiasm, grow in love, grow in giving. It, don't hierarchy them. Grow in all of them. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. That is such a crazy verse. I'm, the Bible clearly tells us not to compare our lives with others. But Paul says, I'm comparing the value, the measure of your life by pinning it against someone who is doing it right. It's almost like when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Verse nine, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing so. Now you should finish. If he's repeating that word finish, it must be important. Finish what you started. Let your eagerness that you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. The eagerness at the beginning is not always what you feel at the end. But don't let it wane. You know, we like to rationalize, well, you know, in the emotion of the moment, I felt like this, but now that the emotion wore off. No, be obedient to what God put in your heart back here. Just because the emotion wore off, are you an emotionalist or are you a seeker of truth? If God said it back here, follow through with it over here when you're tired and when it hurts. Whether it's in giving, whether it's in serving, when you signed up to be a Sunday school teacher, I'm sure it was exciting. And somewhere along week 53, when the kids are like out of their minds, racked up on sugar, not listening to you at all, can't even memorize their verse, are you going to teach with the same enthusiasm here as you did here? Or are you going to let the emotion dictate? Paul says, finish what you started. God is he's using you. 
developing character in you. You should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning match but now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. Give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Verse five, so I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. If all you do is live for right now and for you, and you just tie in, you know, a small token to missions here and small token to the church here and maybe serve in a small ministry here, you're going to get a, a, a small crop. I mean, the Lord is going to reward you. For, he sees everything you've done. And so you're going to get something for it. But if you sow generously, he'll give you a generous reward. That's the scripture right there. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure because God loves a cheerful giver. Now remember, don't make that word give just about money. You have to decide in your heart how much you're going to give, how much you're going to serve, how much you're going to do. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. That's verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. When we take, then when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. I want to cover three M's in the next 15 minutes. That's five minutes an M. I want to talk about the mission. I want to talk about the motivation. And I want to talk about the measurement. First is the mission. This passage told us that God's plan has always been about reconciling people to himself. He tells us to consider what Christ did, Christ's generosity to us. Christ was rich, he made himself poor, but he did it so that in his poverty, we could be made rich. Philippians says you have got to have the same attitude that Christ had. He was God, but he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He was all about the mission, reconciling people to God. That's what he came for. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. In other words, I want you to treat the person who deserves something different good. I want you to withhold judgment on them. I want you to give them what they do not deserve, like I treated you. I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. We have got to be more concerned with reaching the outsider than we are with accommodating the insider. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Does that keep us awake at night? Does that get us as fired up as what song we sing in church or what 
curriculum we use or what ministry we offer. If it doesn't, something's wrong. Because Paul says, we have been given the task of reconciliation. Christ died for all, so we have all died to our old lives. We no longer live to please ourselves. It's no longer about the sheep pen, it's about the one outside. And for the longest time, we're like, well, we got to balance ministry to the people inside with reaching the lost. Here's the problem with that. When you're not reaching the lost, no amount of ministry inside is adequate. Because all we're focused on is sheep manure. If we're not outside there bringing the lost in, there's no joy, there's no new life, there's no birth. There's no mission. Our mission is not these flags. Our mission is not this service. Our mission is not curriculum and songs and stuff that happens in this building. Our mission is the people out there. And if we don't have that mission, everything gets messed up. Why is the church in the condition it's in? Because we forgot about the mission. We are Christ's ambassadors. Brad Walls challenged us last week about missions and said it's about the feet of those who go, the knees of those who pray, and the hands of those who give and serve. Any place our feet go, we need to take the message of Jesus Christ. We need to pray like our prayers actually bring the lost into the kingdom because they do. We need to give and serve like it matters because it does. Our time, our money, our energy, our relationships, all of it about bringing the lost into the kingdom. Look at what he says in verse seven of this same chapter. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have been strayed away. Meaning, there's a greater party in heaven when one sinner repents than when 6,000 of them in Huron go to church on Sunday. He's more excited. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. But you were already found. You were already his. The one that was lost is now found. It's got to be a higher priority. All right. So that's the, the mission, the motivation. Hopefully that was five minutes. We talked about this, the, the judgment seat of Christ and the, the fear of the Lord motivating us. And, you know, when Jesus told the story of the talents and the minas, Remember the guy that hid his and didn't do anything with it? Do you know what he, remember what he said to the master? I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were a hard man. That's always weird because the master is Jesus. Jesus gives these talents and these minas and we come to him and we, we're like, we know, we know you're a hard guy. You know why Jesus is a hard guy? Because he expects you to work. He expects us to work. He expects that he has given us grace. He's given us his life. Now, he's given us love. He's given us a table. He wants us to eat with him. He wants to supply all of our needs. But he wants you in the field because he's a good father. Good fathers, if you come home every day and your children are playing Xbox and they're not in the field and they're 30 years old, you're not a good father. You're a bad father. And your father in heaven does not want you to just sit here and play Xbox. Yeah, that's me. I'm the Xbox. He doesn't want you to be a spectator in this. He wants you in the field, working, earning. He's given you what you need for it. But the motivator of it all has to be love. 
Ephesians chapter 3 says our roots have got to go down into God's love and keep us strong. We have got to have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep his love is, and that we would experience his love, though it's too great to understand fully, so we will be complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We've got to be rooted in God's love for us, first and foremost. Remember, even though we've been given the task of reconciliation, God's gift of reconciliation is free to us. You don't have to earn it. Okay, you're, you're his child and he loves you. When, when God spanks us, it's not like our earthly fathers saying, you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. God means it. Us as earthly fathers, we say it because we know it's the right thing to do, but sometimes it's not true. Sometimes we're so annoyed that, you know, we, we would love to give them a spanking, but we don't. And so when God says, get out there and do this, it's for our good. Does that make sense? The motivation is his love for us. Don't lose sight of the fact of what he did for us. If you have to watch the passion of the Christ, the crucifixion scene, every day of your life, to get it, get it. Do it. Consider him who endured such opposition from men so you do not grow weary and lose heart. That's the, the command of scripture. Whatever it is you're facing, he understands it. Look, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood yet. You've got to be rooted and grounded in his love. Not only his love for you, but the love that he has for others. Remember Jonah? Remember Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach because he hated the Assyrians. He didn't want to preach to them because he hated them. And he knew if he preached to them, they would repent and God would not destroy them like he promised. He says that in Jonah chapter 4. I knew that you would do this. I knew if I preached to them, they would repent and you would forgive them and they don't deserve it. Jonah chapter four, verse 11. God, this is what God says. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals, okay? I'll, I promise you, I don't know what to do with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You animal people love it, but I just don't know what to do. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Do you hear his heart? I mean, it's not that he doesn't love us and doesn't want to provide for our needs and doesn't want us to bring to him our financial problems, even though we, you know, we have smartphones and, and cable TV and internet at home and six cars and all new cars. And it's not that he doesn't want to hear about our needs. But he's like, do you, do you hear the cries of the people outside these walls? And we have to be motivated by love. And love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. I mean, I can be motivated by love and feel nothing. And we have to be. I cannot just give in response to emotion. I could put a great video up here of really hungry children and all hunched over and pray on your emotion and get you to give an offering. That's not what it's about. It's about giving according to love and love is not emotion it's what's true love is the value of a soul what's the value that god places on a soul well you saw it everything and sometimes it's easier to write a check than it is to walk across the street the motivation has got to be love it caused the macedonians to beg them to give 
The motivation has got to be love. The last one that I want to talk about is the measurement. The measurement. In most of these chapters, the Apostle Paul talks about money, but it does apply, like I said, to everything else. Paul keeps saying we need to finish what we start. He wants the enthusiasm that we had at the beginning to match our giving at the end. He actually tells them to grow in the grace of enthusiasm, meaning you can grow in enthusiasm. That means if you don't feel enthusiastic about what you're doing, your marriage, if you don't feel enthusiastic about the ministry that you're involved in, you know what? It's a choice. You don't feel enthusiastic about the church you attend. It's not up to me to make you enthusiastic. I can't. I mean, I could do cartwheels up here. I come up here barefoot today. I mean, I could do all kinds of stuff to make you giggle and laugh. But the enthusiasm you're going to feel in your walk with the Lord, in your ministry that you're in, in the church that you attend, has more to do with you than it does with anyone else. The enthusiasm you have for your marriage has more to do with you than it does your spouse. Grow in your enthusiasm. If all you do is critique and criticize and complain, you're not going to be enthusiastic about your marriage. Just letting you know. You've got to stir up emotion, if you will, enthusiasm. And here, at the end of the day, I don't want my giving over here when my emotion is worn off to be any less than when it was over here and I was emotional. Whether that's in giving offering or giving of myself. It's got to stay the same. Now, if you have a bad day, please don't bang yourself over the head and say, oh, wretched person I am. Have a bad day, okay? Have a bad day. Everyone has them. Take a nap, get up, and then serve the Lord enthusiastically. That's what you got to do. And sometimes you need like weeks of naps. Are you with me? Sometimes you need months of naps. Cut yourself some slack, okay? God loves you not because of your performance. You've got to be rooted and grounded in his love for you and for others. So you get to cut yourself some slack, but don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Because growth requires discipline. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. But here's what he says. I don't want you to give what you do not have. Okay, that doesn't mean that we're going to talk about the faith promise in just a second, and it doesn't mean that you can't give supernaturally, because I believe you can. He, I believe he's saying, don't give in an offering because you were motivated by emotion when you had to write that check for Northwestern. Okay? Because you used electricity and gas this month, and you got to pay for it. So don't let the emotion overwhelm you to the point where you're giving what you don't even have. That's not yours to give. Uh, that's weird to preach in an offering time, isn't it? Pay your bills and then give what you have. Now, you could cut your cable and you could give an extra $50 a month to missions. You could do that. I mean, if you're really brave, you could cut your electricity and gas and give that too. But, you know, in the winter, it's kind of a big deal. You could survive in the summer, but, you know. We have got to understand that, as Brad challenged us last week, we don't just need a move of God. We need discipline. We need to, to follow the teachings of Jesus. We need discipleship. That's what discipline is. 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, if you possess these qualities, and I, I read through them earlier, if you possess these qualities in what? Increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. That word increasing measure is important. Ephesians chapter 4, God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me explain it this way. I love to run. So for some of you, you're really gonna have to stretch yourselves here. I love it. I mean, if I, don't, if I go a week or two without running, I'm a miserable person. I'm wired that way. That's just what I do. When I'm running, I'm thinking, my brain, I'm relaxed. I love it. I've tried to run marathons like three or four times in my life. I succeeded once. Generally, I don't do well because the pressure of training for the marathon becomes overwhelming and running no longer is fun. But this time, I think the desire to run the marathon and hit my goal I'm not just running it like one that, like I ran the first time and said, I don't care what I get, I just want to finish. Now I have a goal. And maybe that's why I failed three or four more times after that first one because the first one was just fun. I'm just, I just want to finish. It's all about finishing. Who cares what time I get? Now that there's a time, now that there's a goal, it's hard. It's not as fun as it used to be. But if I want to reach that goal, I have to discipline myself. I have to have a, a plan of how many miles I'm going to run, at what speed I'm going to run. I have to make sure my plan doesn't get me injured, that I do stupid things like I tend to do and think that I'm 13 years old and can just go out and run forever. I got to remember my age. That's got to be tied in there. All of these things come into play. Some of us in the body of Christ, you know, we just want to fit. Jesus, I just want to finish my race. I mean, no goals. You know, whatever you have for my life. God wants us to set goals. He wants us to measure, to grow in increasing measure. And if there's no accountability in our lives, if there's no measuring stick, how do we know that we're growing? You know why you mark the, your kid's height on the wall? To watch them grow. The faith promise is a measuring stick. Paul says, I'm comparing you, this church, with this church, the generosity. I want to measure what God is doing in you. It's a measurement stick. See, some people say, well, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll just give whatever. There'll be reward for that, guaranteed. You'll get to finish the race and, and God will reward you for that. But if you really want to grow in the grace of giving, it's time to st start putting some measuring sticks because when you make a faith promise, what you're saying is, God, this isn't my tithe. My tithe, you said, belongs here so that this church can do ministry, so that this church can meet the needs of others, so it can pay the staff that we have, so it can do those things. That's my tithe. You said bring it into the storehouse. So I'm going to do that. When I go beyond that, you're asking me to give. And I'm going to give beyond that, and I'm going to write it down. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give something that I can. I may even take a sacrifice. I may cut something out of my life so I could give a little more because when I give, it represents the people's lives who are changed in places around the world. So I'm gonna give. But here's another thing, God. Your word says if I sow generously, I'm gonna reap generously and you're gonna provide all I have so I can give even more. So beyond what I could sacrifice, what, what would you bring into my life and trust me to give away? 
That's a faith promise. When the church in Macedonia gave more than they were able, that's how they did it. Because they gave obediently, they gave sacrificially, and God gave them even more, and they gave that too. See, this idea that, well, you know, if you give a big offering, God's going to give you a big offering so you can go home and buy a big truck. No, that's not what Paul just said. Paul said, God's going to, if you give generously, God's going to give you more so you can give that too. I don't want you to prosper on earth. I want you to prosper there. I want to hear lots and lots of well done. And here's what I'm convinced of. None of us, when we see Jesus face to face, are going to feel like, man, I did enough. None of us. I mean, no matter what we do, no matter how we grow in this grace of giving, we could be living off of 10% of our income and giving 90 away. We're still going to fall at his feet and say, I didn't do enough. You could serve in a thousand ministries and it's never, it's never going to be enough. That's why it's important to be rooted and grounded in his love because it's never enough. But I want it to grow in increasing measure. Not just my financial giving, but my serving, my character, my attitude, everything. I want it to grow. And you can't do that in isolation. Some people say, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to serve God, but I don't need the, the body of Christ and I can just do it on my own. No, you, you can and you'll get some reward, and you'll finish a marathon. But if you want to set a goal, and you want to grow, and you want to watch those times come down, and you want to watch yourself excel and continue to get better and better, not for pride's sake, but to say, here's what God's done in my life. And if he did it in my life, he can do it in yours too. You want that kind of testimony? I challenge you today to think about making this faith promise. I want you to take this card. I know I went a little past 12-ish, but y'all are gracious and merciful and abounding in love just like your father. We're not going to go long now. I want to take a moment and I want us to fill out these cards. I've got a short video that I want you to watch as you fill it out. I want to challenge everybody, put your name on the card today. Remember what the first thing the Macedonian church did was? They committed themselves first to the Lord and to us. Your first commitment before you give anything in an offering is committing yourself to the Lord and to us, to one another. You're saying, you know what? I'm all in with you guys. This is where the Lord has called me. Here I am. All, all you have to do is put your name on there. Everyone, I want everyone to do that. If you know what your faith promise is for the coming year, write it down. If you want to take the next two weeks before Mission Sunday on April 3rd and you want to keep this card, keep it. Turn it in today. Get a new one back there. Okay? Because this is your name. This is first to the Lord and to us. If I don't know the dollar amount, I'm going to turn in a second card later. See, that's what I did. I put a question mark right there. I don't know what my faith promise is. I know this. I can't remember the last time I gave when it hurt. I can't. I give, but I can't remember the last time I gave till it hurt. And so I'm going to take a few weeks and I want to pray through that. But I'm going to put this card in first because the faith promise, it's about growing in the ministry of giving. It's about obedience. It's about the tithe first and giving beyond that. It's about sacrifice. It's about going beyond my wants it's about faith. It's about trusting God to do more
than I'm able to do on my own. It's about a measurement. It's about growing in the grace of God, encouraging others, encouraging myself, looking at what God has done, measuring his faithfulness to me, and it's about growing together. And so I'm gonna go ahead and cue up the video. We're gonna put these baskets here in the front. If you've brought your tithes and offerings, you brought your faith promises, we're gonna bring those at any point during this video. Just bring them up, put them in the basket, and when the video's over, I'm gonna close in prayer and I'm gonna dismiss you. That's all I'm gonna do.
Father, as we come to the end of this mission celebration, we come to the beginning of this year ahead. Everywhere that our feet go, help us to take that message of Jesus Christ, to make the deliberate choice to engage people, God, with the message of the gospel of Jesus in, in our daily lives. Make it a part of who we are as we live out our lives. Father, help us to pray in our commitment to pray for these missionaries around the world, in our commitment to pray for your kingdom to come in this city. I pray, open our hearts and minds. Help us to establish in this community a house of prayer for all nations. God, above that, I pray that as you use our hands to give and to serve in this year ahead, help us to be faithful to the commitments we've made today. God, I pray that you would expand that. Help us to give our lives, our, our time, our resources, our energy in greater ways. God, as you prove yourself faithful to us, I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in the grace of giving, God, the grace of serving, the grace of, of living our lives fully devoted to you. So I thank you for this body of believers that you're raising up in this city, God, to make a difference for you. Help us as we go into the community this week to make a difference in the lives of people we encounter. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Man, thank you for being here today. God bless you as you go. Don't forget tonight at six o'clock, we're gonna meet again uh, in the fireside room.